0: We've been going through the book of Philippians, true joy and life in Christ, true joy and life in Christ. So We're spending each week going through a portion of Philippians, which is a letter written by a man named Paul in prison in Rome. He's writing about 300 miles away from the city of Philippi, and he's telling them to rejoice amidst persecution, amidst amidst financial suffering, amidst chaos. Rejoice in Jesus, who is sovereign, who is in control, who has victory. And in this particular section in Philippians, at the end of chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, Paul teaches believers how to be citizens of heaven, how we are to live as citizens of heaven. You might not be a Christian listening to this. You might not be a citizen of heaven. But I hope that as you listen to Paul's words, you would want to be. You would want that to be your homeland. You would want that to be your resting place and where you will enjoy God forever. And so again, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back that are a gift to you. In partnership with the Gideons, uh, Christian Klein, he's supplied many Bibles to the Northern Collective, um, as well as within the Whitehorse Correctional Center. You can also follow on the screen, and you can listen as well. Verse 27, Paul writes, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. To live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. He's saying above all this, you must do this. Now I was born and raised in the Yukon. When I was younger, I wasn't super proud of that fact. I didn't really like growing up here. I don't know, maybe it was in my upbringing or I thought I was made for the city. I, I thought I was made for the, the glitz and the glamour and, and, and lots of people. As I got older and as I spent more time outside of the Yukon, I began to appreciate what the Yukon is and has to offer. The, the amazingness of what you see around you. Even coming down Two Mile Hill, if you're just to look above McDonald's, There's Gray Mountain in all its splendor. Then there's Golden Horn. And behind you is Heckel Hill. It's just outstanding. There's the Northern Lights that people pay thousands of dollars to come see. There's hunting literally in our backyard. You can just go and hunt things, hopefully legally, hopefully animals. Thanks, Brent. Yeah, Brent Skrodko is my stylist as well. And as, as I realized that, as I was getting older and spent time in the University of Victoria, I remember being in a class, and you're supposed to introduce yourself and tell people where you're from. And people were saying, and this is no knock against other provinces and territories, that, you know, you know I'm from Ontario and be the next person. And um, I'm from Alberta. And then someone was from Northwest Territories. And everyone was like, wow. And then I was like, I'm from the Yukon. They're like, wow. And if you were a Yukoner growing up, you probably have these kind of questions like, do you have grass? Do you have traffic lights? Do you have dog sled teams? Do you live in an igloo? Do you have cable? Do you, like all these things, they think we live on the moon. Yet we know all these things about these other provinces. And I was, I was proud to say I was, I'm from the Yukon. I want people to come here. I want people to come see God's majesty. I want you to meet the people, this northern hospitality that we have. And now I know this isn't everybody's experience. Some may think of the Yukon and think, oh, man, good thing I got that ticket to leave tomorrow. But I I love the Yukon. I, I love that my kids are here. I love that my parents are here and Caitlin's parents are here. And I have good feelings about the Yukon. I'm a citizen of the Yukon. Yet Paul is saying there's a higher citizenship than where you live. And in this case, in Rome, they were part of a Roman colony in Philippi. That was the cream of the crop. To live in Philippi means you were tax-exempt that you can actually own land and the government couldn't just take it from you. There were a lot of benefits for living in Philippi. And being in Philippi often made you a Roman citizen, which was the citizenship to have. If you wanted to be any citizen of any place in this time, it would be for the Roman Empire under Caesar, the greatest superpower at the time. And the Philippians were very proud to be living in this elite Roman colony. They were very patriotic Romans. But Paul is reminding the Christians that are in Philippi that they are citizens of a better land, better than Philippi, better than the Yukon. It's heaven. You are citizens of heaven living in Philippi. Christians, you are citizens of heaven living living in the Yukon. We are visitors here. We are tourists here. This is not our home. We are to love and cultivate and care for it. But this is not our home. We are passing by. Our citizenship is in heaven. And Paul says this, and he says, our lives ought to reflect that fact. That you are citizens of heaven. Your citizenship there is way more important than being a Roman. Your primary allegiance is to God. Not to Caesar. Not to the king of Rome. And at this time, the king of Rome, the Caesar, is Nero. And Emperor Nero is a madman. He hates Christians, and many Romans hate Christians. Nero hated Christians so much that he would put them on posts, ignite them on fire to light up his parties. This is Nero. He's saying, your allegiance, Christians, is not to Nero. It is to God. There's massive implications at that time for that, to say that. You serve God alone. You serve God alone. In fact, when you were in Rome at the time, and if you're a Christian and you don't serve Caesar, you don't serve Nero, they would call you an atheist because they consider the Caesar to be a God. He was sent by God, he is a God. If you don't serve him, you don't believe in God, so you're an atheist. Paul's saying, Your citizenship is in heaven, and we need to stand together with that citizenship, striving for the gospel. We're not just citizens of Canada. You're not just citizens of Rome or of the Yukon, of China, of Africa, wherever you're from. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. For believers, we are ambassadors. Passing by, we are tourists. This world is not our own. But then how do we conduct ourselves here then? We're here now, we're not in heaven. How do we conduct ourselves in the Yukon? How do we conduct ourselves if you're living in America? How do you conduct yourselves wherever you find your citizenship in a manner that is worthy of Jesus Christ? Paul continues in verse 27. Then whether I come and see you again, or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. How should Christians live is the question. Verses 27 to 29 summarize the Christian life with three major points. The first is from verse 27, that we are to be standing and fighting together for the faith. The second As we do this, as we stand and fight together for the faith, we are to have fearlessness. And thirdly, we are to have suffering with patience. Now what do I mean by that? Standing and fighting together for the faith. Standing and fighting together for, notice it says the faith the faith. There's a faith that is passed on. There's a faith of Christianity that has been taught that's historical, what we call orthodox, and it's doctrinal, and it's theological. It's the faith of the apostles. It's the faith that's been passed on. Paul explains it, I think, the most clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 9. This is the faith. It's not faith in general. It's not spirituality in general. It's the faith, the one faith, the exclusive faith, Christianity. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important and what also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than five hundred of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time. I also saw him, for I am the least of of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Paul is saying this is a summary of the faith. It's an event in history that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago was born, was later crucified, and raised from the dead. That is an event. And what did it accomplish? It was an accomplishment. It accomplished forgiveness of sin an entrance into heaven and your passport to a heavenly citizenship. And how do you receive that? By faith alone. Trusting in who Jesus says he is and what he's done. That's it. You do not earn it. You do not keep it. You do not make it up. It is passed on to you. So we are to stand fighting together for this faith. For the faith and we're to do so with fearlessness. Paul tells the Philippians in verse 28, chapter 1. He says, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Other translations, it says, don't be afraid in any way by your enemies." And the Greek word here for afraid is the idea of when you startle a horse, and they just run, and they start a stampede, and it's chaos. I don't know if you've ever seen The Lion King. I'm pretty sure most of you have. I'm about to give a spoiler alert. The Lion King dies. This is a pack of wild boars. Horse? They're not horse. Are they horses? Wildebeests. So they're not a horse exactly. But the idea is that they are. They are frightened. They are startled. They're so anxious they just start running and they all run and they trample down in this in this valley, and scar takes Simba and throws him off the cliff, and it's horrible. I don't know. Is that what happened? Okay, talk to Caitlin. She knows these movies. Forget Simba. It's not Simba. It's Mufasa. Mufasa, his dad. Okay. The point is, not Mufasa, the point is the startling of those wildebeests. Paul is saying, don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid like that. When something happens, you don't just run without thinking. You don't just panic. Paul's saying, don't panic. Keep calm. You're a citizen of heaven that can't change, and God is in control. So you have a fearlessness at work. You have a fearlessness in your marriage. You have a fearlessness in public, knowing that you're a Christian, knowing that the world is going to continue to hate us and look down upon us, and make fun of us, and in some places, kill us. Be fearless. And as you stand and fight together for the faith with fearlessness, we are to suffer with patience. Suffer with patience. Verse 29, Philippians chapter 1. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege... Of suffering for him, the privilege of suffering for him. In some translations, it says the gift. You've been given the gift of faith, and you've been given the gift of suffering for him. If you're a Christian, that's not how you open up and sharing about your faith. That there's just gonna be a lot of suffering. But maybe we should. But because Christianity's become just, hey, if you become a Christian, it's going to save your marriage. It's going to fight your addictions. It's going to make you really happy. And sometimes that's true, but that's not the primary, primary reason we become Christians. The primary reason for becoming a Christian is because we love Jesus. And there are other benefits, but that's the primary reason, is to know Jesus. But Paul is saying the privilege of suffering for him, the gift of suffering for him, If you get that gift, I'm I'm sure we're thinking, where's the receipt? I want to return that gift. I like faith. I do not like suffering. A lot of what we hear about in products in the world and on TV is we just want to remove all suffering. All sorts of suffering. But Paul is saying there's a privilege in suffering here. This is a teaching that comes directly from Jesus Christ. Paul follows this teaching from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. He's reminding them that suffering for Jesus is a sign that they belong to him, that you are a citizen of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Later, Paul would tell a young follower named Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will Suffer persecution. Paul will later pray in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. This idea of suffering as a gift isn't something that Paul made. He wasn't alone in thinking this. We read in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, that after the apostles had been beaten in the presence of a council in Israel, it says, The apostles left the high council crying, no, rejoicing, that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus suffering for Christ is a gift. That's a very bizarre teaching. And if we only imagine Christianity to be pleasant blessings and benefits all the time, then when suffering happens, we don't see it as a gift. Now I'm not talking about suffering in general, like disease and broken arms and and car crashes. We're talking about suffering the name of Jesus, that when you share your faith, people say, you're weird. Or when you share your faith in different countries, or if they find out you're a Christian, they put you in jail, that's the kind of suffering that they rejoice over. They don't rejoice over a concussion. This is suffering for the name of Jesus. But if we think Christianity is just how God can make my life perfect in every way, the moment we suffer, this is one of the primary reasons people supposedly leave Christianity. When something terrible happens to them, they blame God. And we don't have a proper framework in how to see suffering. and, and or They're confused and they walk away from God. They walk away from the church. They walk away from lifelong friendships they stop reading the bible they stop praying it either exposes they were never christians to begin with or they didn't understand the place of suffering in life we live as citizens of heaven by standing and fighting together for the faith for the faith living fearlessly and suffering with patience and paul closes chapter 1 with this reminder that we are in this Together. That as together we do this. Verse 30, Philippians chapter 1. We are in this struggle together, Paul writes. You have seen my struggle in the past. And Paul's struggles were many shipwrecked, rocks thrown at him to the point of death, beaten, insulted, imprisoned multiple times. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. All saying, we must struggle together, strive together, side by side is how some translations say. It's the idea of athletes working together. It's the idea of soldiers working together. When I play soccer, when people come to the field, I don't care what their favorite food is. I don't really care what their favorite color is we are playing for a common cause of getting that silly little ball in the back of the net as fast as as possible, as many times as possible. We have a common enemy, the green team. We work together to win the trophy. But we work together. That's the idea of Paul saying struggling together, striving side by side together. I think many of us, we've lost that Idea or that knowledge that we have a common enemy. And we're not actually working together anymore. We're actually working in silos. We have our own thing. We're looking out for number one. We don't know how we're each other are doing. And there isn't this idea of striving side by side, it's the idea that we are alone. Exactly. But when Paul is writing to the Philippians, it wasn't a game. I love soccer, but it's very beautiful. But it's also just a game. There will be soccer in heaven. That will be the sport that we will play. But it's just a game. The stakes at this point in Rome and in Canada and in the Yukon are much higher than that. It's more than a game. It's not a game. It's life and death. They're living in a time where the Romans did not embrace the Christian citizenship. This offended other people. This offended Nero. This offended the Romans. This is still true today. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they're asking if I could teach something. And I I was thinking, okay, yeah, I can talk about Christianity and... Struggle, Christianity and suffering. She's like, oh, maybe drop the Christianity and just say spiritual. And she was saying to me, I'm Christian, I get that, but saying you're a Christian is a barrier. In my mind, I'm thinking, what? I'm not just going to talk about spirituality in general. First of all, I was much more kind in my approach. I said, this is, first of all, this is my job, I'm a pastor. And I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ in the Bible. And if that's not okay, then you're just going to have to talk to somebody else. I'm not going to talk about spirituality. I don't know what that means. I can talk about a living Jesus. I can talk about a heaven that's real. I can talk about a God that is amazing. Have you heard of this God? In our evangelism, in our sharing of our faith, if we do it at all, do we think of it as point counterpoint they say something you think and we think i have a counterpoint to that sometimes that's effective but in our evangelism do we ever say have you ever heard of this amazing news let me tell you the best news ever because the gospel is what the good news the gospel is made up of two old english word words god spell god being good spell being story Good news. Christianity is good news. It's just not a series of true things. Christianity isn't a phone book. That's super boring. Don't memorize phone book. It's news. We are to herald this news. We are to proclaim this news. I want to tell you about the good news of Jesus. I don't want to get into, and I can if you want, about evolution and aliens People love talking about aliens and all these other things. It is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we stand together. We do this together as citizens. Because our citizenship cannot be revoked. You cannot lose your citizenship because it was paid for already by God's Son by his blood. We are held and loved invincibly, and our citizenship is forever. And one of one of the ways we as the church do this in to remember this and celebrate this is what we call communion. We do this as God has instructed that together we would take symbols of The bread, which represent his body that was crushed for us. And drink of the juice that represents the blood that he poured out for our souls. This has given us citizenship in heaven. To live worthy of the gospel doesn't mean cleaning yourself up so that you're accepted by God. The gospel says we're accepted... Therefore, we obey. Every other worldview says, obey, and then you'll be accepted. You're already accepted because of what Christ has done. And we receive that by faith.